trusting God when you don't understand or you just cannot see how it can really all work out. It's hard, isn't it? Can you think back? Maybe you're in that midst of that journey right this very day. Can you think back if not today you're in that situation where you did trust God? You, in a sense, stepped out on the plank. You saw the shark swimming. And you went ahead and stepped off believing that God would provide. Trusting Him to provide whatever that was. When we were in uh, our, I guess, seventh or eighth year of marriage, and I was in seminary, my wife was working full-time, putting through the hubby degree. She was putting me through my master's degree in seminary and working full-time and doing all that she could to help us uh, provide for our, for our family. At that time, we had no children. Um, it was a journey of faith that whole time. And throughout our married life together, God has given us opportunities to truly set a milestone, a marker of faith at different places in our own lives. One of them was our senior year of seminary, and we were in that situation where it was time for graduation to come. I was considering different types of opportunities that I felt maybe God was calling me to upon graduating, and I was looking forward to seeing what he had for me. Um, Well, we began to look at different opportunities. One was in college ministry. I was looking to uh, do college ministry and uh, actually was going to go travel up to uh, North Carolina and spend an opportunity there at a campus in, uh, in Charlotte and was uh, looking to go to UNC Charlotte and start a campus ministry there. Uh, I had a plane ticket in hand to fly up and meet uh, a local church pastor and some leadership up there. And the night before I was supposed to leave, I got a phone call and said, you're not going to fly out tomorrow. They decided that this isn't what God wants them to do. And so we don't have the funding for you to go up. So I said, the door closed. And different things closed. And, and finally, I said, well, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm just going to trust you. And in my uh, circumstance, I had had experience already in the local church prior to seminary as a youth pastor many years and then went to graduate school. And I was really wanting to move forward in a sense of understanding what God had for me and leading the church at large rather than just a section, a particular section within the body. And so I thought, well, it seems I really need to get further training in that. And so uh, I really began to ask around what type of ministry would be good for those who knew me uh, that would be good for me. So I considered two different opportunities of two men that I had heard about. One I had had known pretty well in Florida. The other I did not know very well, but I knew about his ministry and that one of my main mentors in my life at that time who had gone to seminary with that pastor said, if you ever have a chance to be with him in ministry, do not pass it up. I said, okay. I didn't ever think that would happen, but at that time in my life, I was only 25 years old or so then. Well, it came time that senior year. I was about four or five months from graduating. And uh, I began to pray, Lord, here's two churches with two pastors that I feel God if you would allow me to go to one of those places to serve you and to grow in my leadership and in my understanding of what it means to be a leader in your church, I would ask you to provide that. Well, about uh, two or three weeks later, I get a, the phone rings in our apartment. I pick it up, and on, one, on the other end is the pastor in Florida that I had not talked to, like, I don't know, hardly ever. 
he was over in the west coast of Florida. I said, hello. He said, Mike, I know we've met before, but uh, I'd like to, for you uh, to consider coming over interviewing for, for a position at our church. I went, okay. Couldn't believe it. It was just like God literally dialed the phone and told me what he wanted me to go do. So I said, sure, I'd like to come do that. So at that time, I also was uh, um, in, engaged with another mutual friend who said, I'd like for you to come up to Atlanta and spend some time at this church with the other pastor. And so now God had opened up two doors to go to either of these churches that I did, did not expect, but had prayed for. I should have expected it, but I prayed for it. And so we went over to the church in Florida. We interviewed that week, and they said, now we have another gentleman coming in in three weeks, so we'll get back with you after that, uh, after that interview. I said, no problem. They also knew I had another opportunity to go up to Atlanta and to speak, and so I went ahead and I said, thank you very much. It was a great weekend. On Monday morning, after that weekend, though, they called back. They said, Mike, we're not going to have the other guy come in. We just want to go ahead and call you to come be on staff here. I said, excuse me? And they said, yes, we want you to come. I said, well, I would really like to, but I, I really believe I need to go consider what is happening up at this church in Atlanta. I'd like to consider that if you would give me an opportunity. And they said, sure, we understand you were doing that in that process. Take the time that you need. I said, well, thank you very much. They were very gracious. Flew to Atlanta, had the interview up here. Everything went really well, except they were in the process of really figuring out a lot of other things. And so they said, we're really not sure what we're going to do right now. So we'll get back to you when we're able to give you more of a definite understanding of where we are. I said, okay, thank you went back to Florida, and I was wrestling. I had both situations that were, well, one wanted me, the other one in Atlanta was just considering it. As we prayed about it, my heart said, I, Lord, I, I don't understand it, but I'm feeling called to Atlanta. They haven't called me, but I'm feeling like this is where you want me to go, so um, this is where I think I need to go. The phone rang the next day, and it was the church in Florida, and the pastor said, Mike, have you come to a place where you've decided. I said, well, I think I have, and I'm sorry to say that I, even though I haven't been offered a position, I'm going to, I think, wait and see what God would do with the position in Atlanta. He said, I understand. Sure enough, that door closed. They pursued the next guy quickly, and that door was shut. I did not have that job anymore, that opportunity. And it was a fantastic church, still is, and a great opportunity with the pastor that I truly respect. That whole week, I felt like when I put the phone down with that pastor, I had stepped off a cliff and I was in free fall. That's how I felt emotionally and spiritually. I didn't know what was going to happen. I looked at down the, the barrel of a gun that said, you'll have neither job because you were stupid. You should have taken the job that they offered. You, had, you, know, you should have done it. And I was struggling. I could not see why God would put that on my heart so strongly and yet, he had not called me to do it. So I waited, and I waited, and I waited. About a week later, the phone rang, and it was Atlanta, and they called, and they said, Mike, we've kind of finally come to a decision. We'd like to offer you this position. And I said, well, I'll think about it. I'll let you know. I said, no, thank you very much. I feel very much called to take the position. And so we did, and that brought our journey to Atlanta, which we've been now here since 1995. Uh, following what God has for us. But you know, we have been through more than one experience like that in our marriage and our family and our life where 
You come to a crossroads and you have to say, Lord, I don't understand this. I believe this is what you have said and is, or what you have put on our hearts. You have placed this here. I cannot deny it. I want to put it aside. I want to do what seems logical and what with the eye and temporal and this temporal life would make sense, but I can't. I have to trust you in this. And so in doing that, God has continued to honor uh, those decisions. It's not easy. And it never has been easy. In fact, there's times where we struggle making those decisions, and sometimes we don't always make that decision. We have absolutely had things where we've chosen to not yield to what God has for us. But when we do, that test of our faith is always met with God's blessing. Abraham had such a test in his life. He had a tremendous test in his life, much more than a position Working at a church, he had very life and death in his hands that God had placed there for him to make a decision. God's test of Abraham, what exactly was this test? Well, we of course have this narrative in Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. It starts out very clearly, God tested Abraham, verse 1. There's no question what's happening here. God's testing Abraham. He's placing him in a position where he wants to see, believing that God is going, that Abraham is going to respond. God placed Abraham intentionally in a position of faith testing. Abraham's test involved a very costly sacrifice, did it not? His test involved a very costly sacrifice. Look at what he says. <clears throat> uh, God says to Abraham, he said, Abraham, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. It's almost like God's really, he's just pouring on very thick and heavy. Hey, Abraham, take your son, not someone else's kid, not someone else's child, not some ram, some lamb, some animal. Take your son, Abraham. You see, Abraham and Sarah could not have children their entire life. She was 90 years old, and he was 100 years old when God blessed them with children. They had gone for decades in barrenness. It was very difficult to consider that God would want to take that which all their life they had yearned and asked for. How would God dare ask them to give up that which he gave? It doesn't make sense, does it? No, it doesn't make sense. Logically, we can't rationalize that. There's no way you can make sense at that point. We can, because we have it looking at it. We can read the story. We understand what's going on. But see, Abraham didn't have the words, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He didn't have that. He was in the moment. Abraham, take your son, your only son. It was the only male offspring that Abraham truly had. Lineage was a huge issue. And for Sarah to have been barren those many years, not able to conceive, having a child, a male child, was very significant in the Israel culture and family. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. You see, Abraham loved deeply his child. Isaac was deeply loved. It wasn't just a casual 
affection. Isaac was their heir. He was the inheritance. He was the one who brought continuity to the generational blessing that God had promised them. You see, that's who Isaac was. This wasn't just any child. This was the covenant promise blessing child. Isaac was that one. It's like God was saying to Abraham, Abraham, take what is most precious to you and lay it on this altar. Take the most precious thing that you have, which is your son Isaac, and I want you to lay it on the altar of worship. Give it to me as a sacrifice as you demonstrate your faith in me. Demonstrate your faith in me by placing that which you love the most in front of me. You give it to me. Not try to withhold it from me. And trust what I have promised you. Because I have promised you that you will be a blessing for all nations. And I've promised that. That's not going to change. But do you trust that I can fulfill that? Even though I'm telling you, in your mind, I'm taking away the very thing that's going to allow that to happen. That's how you see it. That's how you understand it. Are you going to trust me that I'm going to still provide this? Remember, Abraham also had Ishmael as a son. Remember that? Earlier in Genesis, as you read, but in the previous chapter, chapter 21, God commanded Abraham to send Ishmael away. You remember that? Send Ishmael away at his wife's request. So he did so. He sent Hagar, born Ishmael, and Ishmael into the desert, not knowing if they would even survive. Just send them away. That's what he did. Now God tells Abraham to sacrifice his remaining son. He already sent Ishmael away with Hagar, They could be dead at this point. Now God comes to him and he says, oh, and by the way, now take your only son Isaac and I want you to give him on the altar of sacrifice. That's much harder. It's hard enough to send away, but now to give this only child. Remember the male child in a Jewish household were held as very, very valuable. Even more, a Jewish man's firstborn son. Even more so. You can't get any, the stakes cannot get any higher here. They're about as, he's about as deep into the the value as you can get at this moment. Culturally though, an Israelite, and this is a perspective that maybe we don't think about from Scripture, an Israelite understood that God had every right to ask for the firstborn son. Back in Exodus chapter 13, the Lord said to Moses, Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. See, God had rights, and he proclaimed them. He had rights. And so, certainly, an Israelite understood that God was the one that deserved worship and first rights, but yet, this was This was a call upon Abraham that did not make sense. It did not make sense, but yet it was a very costly, very costly request. And the sacrifice would be very costly. To worship, for Abraham to worship God in this situation would be very costly. Creation and blessing, Alan Ross wrote this commentary. He says this, God does not ask worshipers to give him that which they do not treasure or that which they no longer care for or need. 
God requires that his worshipers offer him the best that they have. You see, it's not much of a sacrifice to give that in worship to before the Lord, which I don't need that. I kind of call it garage sale sacrifice or yard sale worship. I mean, what do you put in a yard sale? Something you don't even care if you get money for. In fact, you just give it away. When we ever have, we have yard sales or garage sales in our neighborhood and we put all our stuff out and, you know, we're the, the clampets for three hours on a Saturday, right? <clears throat> and all that stuff's laid out there. People come around and I'm amazed that people will argue with you over 25 versus 20 cents for a plastic cup. I just don't get it. But anyway, and so they're always wanting to get a better deal. So, you, you know, I'm always willing to give them whatever. By, by noon, I'm willing to say, when someone walks up, just take it, please. Just take it away from this house. Because our rule is, everything that goes out in the garage sale, of course, all the money that comes in goes towards our commitment to, uh, to missions. But then, after whatever's left over at that point, goes and we take it to some other needy organization. Nothing comes back in the house anyway. So anything that's outside on that driveway, it's not needed. It's just there. Well, that's not the kind of thing that God asks of his children in worship. He doesn't want the stuff we don't need. He doesn't want things left over in our heart, stuff that's hanging around our hearts and affections that are just like the yard sale stuff. He's wanting to go into your home and ask you for the very things that you hold tightly, the things that are in your bedside drawer, the things that are in your closets, the things that are in the safe that you have somewhere in the house that no one else knows the combination. He wants you to open that up, take it out, and offer those things to him as that which is worship. That's what God desires from us, for that shows our heart is truly affectionate for him. Remember when David counted the fighting men, and he wasn't supposed to do that, but he wanted to see how many men he had in his army? so that he would what? trust in that rather than trusting in the Lord for victory in battle. And so he sent out his assistant to go count all the fighting men. Shouldn't have done it, but he did. David wasn't perfect, we know. And then he came after realizing that, was confronted that he shouldn't have done that. And he said, I need to obviously worship the Lord in repentance. I need to have an act of contrition. I need to bring myself to worship the Lord again after this disobedience. And so he had a local Jebusite He wanted to go and buy his threshing floor. But the Jebusite said, no, no, please, just take this. Who you are and coming to worship the Lord and what you're doing, this is yours. Just take it and go. Use it as worship. And what was David's response? He said, no, I must buy this. It must cost me something. I dare not offer to God in worship that to God, that which costs me nothing. That was his heart. The same is true here in what God's telling Abraham. Abraham, don't come to me with worship that costs you nothing. Come to me with that which truly is of your heart. Abraham could not logically work out that, this divine equation that didn't make sense. God's ways are not logical in our minds sometimes. You see, God's ways are not necessarily against reason, irrational, but they are often beyond reason. 
You see the difference? They're beyond what we can understand and see, what we can reason out, but that doesn't mean that they are irrational or they are against what God has placed in his promises. For God doesn't contradict himself. We just can't see at the moment that he asks sometimes. Here's the key. Abraham followed God's word and instructions even when he could not see or understand what God was doing. 2 Corinthians, you know this verse, chapter 5, verse 7 says, we live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. That's our daily walk with the Lord. Not by what we can see, but what, why, but what we trust in the Lord. Abraham's test involved a costly sacrifice, but it also involved God's promise. What makes this even more incredible is that Isaac was specifically given to Abraham as what? The seed of the promise. It, he was. He was specifically the seed of the promise for the covenant. It was through him that the nations would be blessed. Back in Genesis 15, before this testing with Isaac, remember it says in Genesis 15, then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the heavens, speaking to Abraham, count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram, believe the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. God had promised to bless all the nations through Isaac. It was clear. That wasn't something that Abraham doubted or, or that he wrestled with. He knew that was already the promise. Hebrews 11 says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac, your offspring, that your offspring will be reckoned. Even though God had promised, he was asking Abraham to trust him. So what was Abraham's response? Well, it was a response. It was very difficult but it was a response of faith. Verses 3 through 10 of our, of our text. Nowhere in the narrative do we see Abraham, and this is what's amazing as you read this story. Nowhere do you see Abraham hesitate. Can you imagine? Hesitate, <clears throat> question, complain, talk back to God. Nowhere. Do you see that kind of a response from Abraham's heart? That is difficult for me to get my brain around, to get my, my, my understanding. I don't know if I could do that. If God asked me <clears throat> to take one of my children to slay them as a sacrifice of worship, and I knew God was doing, it was God doing it, I, I would really struggle with that kind of a request. I'm sure you would too. He did not hesitate. He did not question. He did not rebel. And he did not complain. Verse 4, it says, <clears throat> On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. What's significant about that? Well, it wasn't like God said, Go to your backyard, Abraham. i got something I want you to do. Just step out on the back porch. It was, I want you to go to this place. And I want you to make this sacrifice of worship. He had to go on a journey 
take a couple of servants with them so they could help with all that they had to carry just to survive on this journey to have an act of worship. It wasn't convenient to go for them to worship, and it was not easy for them to go to worship. Sound familiar a little bit? Christ Community on Sunday mornings at 7.30? It's not convenient to worship in this community center, and it is not easy to worship here. I've told you before, it takes about 50 man hours a week just to have worship for our church. That's a whole staff person every week. For you to sit here and worship God together, it takes that kind of effort. That's not convenient. That's not just unlock the door, turn the lights on, be sure the air condition is set to the right temperature, and let's enjoy worship. That's not what this is about. It's not convenient. When it is convenient and easy, then sometimes it's way too often a temptation for our heart to be distracted and to become complacent. So trust that even this journey as a church right now where we are waiting one day to be on that property, to be at that place, is teaching us something about worship right now. Sitting on a hard plastic chair is teaching you something about worship. You may not want it, You may not like it, and yet it is something about what God is doing in our hearts, even as his people. It's not convenient. It's not easy. Verse 7, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Father, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? You know, Isaac asked Abraham about the missing lamb. Abraham responds with a very careful Notice how he answered his son, but yet wise response. He didn't say, you're it. I mean, he just didn't do that. He said, my son, trust God's going to provide the lamb for worship. And his son just listened. And he said, okay. Abraham responded very carefully and wisely to his child. Abraham protected his son from a burden that his son did not need to carry on their journey to worship. Think about that. As a parent, you, dis- you make decisions to protect your children from things and burdens they need not carry. Don't we? That's what Abraham did right at the moment. That was a, that was a dad moment for Abraham right there. Verse 9. When they reached the place, God told them that Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Can't imagine. And yet, here's what's amazing to me. There's nothing, at least in the narrative. Of course, we don't have every single detail in the narrative. I know that. And yet, it's not in this narrative, which I would maybe expect, but maybe not. There's nothing that says Isaac's response of being bound and placed on a pile of wood for an offering of sacrifice. It doesn't say anything about Isaac and what he did at that moment. I wish I could have seen what Isaac was doing. From the text, all we have is that he let himself be bound and let himself be placed in that position. That's what we have. So either Moses selectively did not mention these details... (laughs) In writing this, or Abraham's son, Isaac, loved and trusted his father immensely. That's what we have. To, that's all we have. 
When a child sees and knows that their parents love and worship God in that way with all their heart, soul, and mind, it has a great impact upon that child spiritually. I dare say Isaac was impacted by his father's devotion to the Lord before they got to the altar even. All his life he saw his father's devotion to the Lord. He wasn't perfect, but he was devoted to the Lord. And Isaac knew that and he was going to trust him. It didn't matter what was happening. He trusted what his dad said. Verse 10, he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. He raised it up. Did Abraham go through with God's command? No. And yes. Both. How is that? Well, though he did not actually slay his most beloved son, in Abraham's heart, he did. You see? At the moment that he raised the knife, in Abraham's mind and heart, he had given his son to the Lord. You don't raise your knife like that, like he was doing. He didn't do it like faking out the Lord. He did it with his heart ready to bring it down. He had already came to the point where he was ready to slay his son. He had given his son up at that moment. You see, though he did not slay Isaac in his heart, he did sacrifice him at that moment. I believe that with all my heart. That is when God intervened. That is when God affirmed that Abraham had passed the test to trust him at all cost. That moment. You see, up in that moment, three or four day journey, and and then leaving the servants behind, and going up, getting the wood, and, and doing everything that he was doing, he could have at any point along that journey turned the other way, made a different choice. He could have. He kept going along. And you might be able to say, up to this very moment when he raised that knife, Abraham's just going through the motions. He's not going to. There's no way he would. You could do that, but not when he raised the knife. When he raised the knife, it was all out there. It was it. That's where Abraham's heart was. You know, sometimes our lack of trusting God leads to an act of withholding from him. Sometimes we withhold from God because we aren't willing to trust him. In order for Abraham to truly worship God, he had not only to obey God's command to go and do what he's told him to do, but he had to not withhold anything, especially the most precious thing. Here's the question. What might you be withholding from the Lord right now? I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what's going on in your life particularly. Many of you I do generally know circumstances and things, sure. As your pastor, I do have those knowledge points, and, and yet I, I don't know what's going on in anyone's heart. I don't know what you value the most. I don't know what is gripping your affections in such a way that... It keeps you awake at night. It keeps your stomach in knots sometimes. It keeps you constantly stressed about that thing or that circumstance or that. I don't know what it is, but for many of us here today, it is something. It, it absolutely is. It may be more than one thing. 
and you are undone because of that which grips your heart. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your children. And you say, Lord, you can have anything in my life, but you do not get my children. You don't have that privilege because those are what you gave me to take care of and, and you wouldn't want to mess with them. Would you? Maybe it's your job, your career, your earning potential, your earning power, your wealth, your affluence. Maybe it's your lifestyle that you so much value and treasure. And if God were to take that, You don't know what you do. Did you know right now you can't get 22 long rifle bullets anywhere? Did you know that? If anybody's a, 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 an avid hunter or whatever, go online today. Try to find 22 cartridge caliber bullets. You can't. They are not available anywhere. Any gun place any ammo place, online, anywhere. Wonder why. You have an idea? I didn't know this about two weeks ago. The reason is because everyone is responding to what they think might happen in our government. And so they're beginning, they're just, a lot of people are buying lots of things like ammunition. You can't get it. People are in fear. They are acting out of fear. They're acting out of many things. They're gripped by things that they don't know about in the future. And it grips them to where they act in ways they would not normally rationally act. I mean, who wants to go buy thousands of rounds of 22 bullets? You don't usually do that unless something has gripped you to cause you to do that. It's amazing what can grip our hearts? Maybe it's your retirement. Maybe it's what the future, what you hope and plan will be. Or maybe you're already there. And what, what it should look like right now, but it's not because of what's happening in our world and in our nation. Maybe that's what's gripped you. Maybe it is something that you just cannot share because it's that thing that is kept in that very dark place that you don't want anyone else to know, because if they did, it would all be over. Life as you know it. What is it that you're withholding? What is keeping you from worshiping God wholly and fully? After Abraham gave up his son in his heart, God responded. Verses 11 through 18, God responded with provision and blessing. How did he respond? Well, in verse 13, we see Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and sacrificed as a burnt offering instead of his son. God provided by covering Abraham with grace and with provision. What was the lamb for Abraham? <clears throat> it was God's provision for worship. It was not just a ram in a thicket. It was God's direct provision for him and peace.
That was what the lamb was for Abraham. God's provision for blessing and peace. What was the lamb or the the ram in the thicket? What was it for Isaac, his son? For Isaac, can you imagine? He's bound. He's about ready to get the knife. And there's this ram in the thicket. What was the ram for, for Isaac? It was God's covering sacrifice that provided him protection and provision from certain death. That's what it was for Isaac. I'm sure Isaac was glad to see that ram in the thicket. Thankful that God was providing in the way that he had promised. 14, Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Psalm 37 says this. The psalmist writes, I was young and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. It's an observation by the psalmist. Maybe not necessarily a promise of God directly, but it's an observation the psalmist says that we take to heart that he provides for his children. He provides for his people. How many of you stay awake at night drowning in a sea of doubt or worry about something right now? Matthew, Jesus, Sermon on the Mount says in verse 31, chapter 6, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God will provide what we need to eat, what we need to drink, and clothing for our bodies, and a roof over our protection. He provides the things we need. He promises that. He does provide for his people. Abraham passed this test, but certainly Abraham failed at other tests in his life. We know he did. He was not perfect. He failed at other tests. He passed this one, but there were things in his life that he certainly did not meet the requirement. The truth is that we will never be able to pass every test God gives us. This is a call to place our faith and trust God. Yes, it is. But I know you're going to fail. I know you've already failed because I know I've failed and I will fail again. But that doesn't keep me from continuing to trust the Lord daily and to go forward and knowing that He has promised to provide and He has always fulfilled that. He's never failed. He's always provided even when I have failed. So that is what we go forward with, trusting that God will provide. Romans 8 You see, this is a key understanding of what the gospel tells us about Jesus. Romans 8, what then shall we say in response to all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He, that is God the Father, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Here it is. God did not need Isaac to be sacrificed. But God absolutely required that his own son be sacrificed. He didn't need Isaac. Isaac didn't need to be sacrificed, and he wasn't. But God must sacrifice, has sacrificed his only son. His only son was the only true son that we absolutely must have as a sacrifice for our sin and our 
need spiritually. That is what Isaac and Abraham's obedience and faith points to. It doesn't point to Abraham being a good guy. Being, You see, this points to the father giving up his only son, raising the knife, and coming down with the knife, and slaying his son, his perfect, innocent son, so that you and I would be covered with his grace. That is what Isaac is about. That's what Abraham did. That's what we take away from this. Paul uses the same root word for spare in Romans 8 as Genesis 22 uses for the word withheld in verse 16. Abraham did not withhold his son. Romans 8, for he who did not spare his own son, it's the same understanding. Spurgeon said in his grace, God's unmerited favor, says this, God delights in his covenant, and so we are sure he will not turn back from it. It is the joy of his holy heart. He delights to do his people good. To pass over transgression, iniquity, and sin is the recreation of Jehovah. The covenant is the heart of God written out in the blood of Jesus. Passing over our iniquity, covering our sin, our disobedience, it's the playground for the Father. It's His recreation. He enjoys it so much. He delights in nothing more than covering your failure. He delights in nothing more than providing for your inadequacies. He rejoices in nothing more and nothing less than that which you could never atone for. That's what your heavenly father does for you. That's what he did for Abraham. That's what he does for us. Sometimes we forget that God is really on your side. He really is. He's for you. He's not against you. He wants you to know that he wants to bless you and provide for you. Instead, we run around scared all the time that we're just not going to make it. Don't we? Why? He says, I will provide. And he's shown us time and time again, over and over. Because he has chosen not to withhold his unconditional love and acceptance through his son Jesus, then we cannot doubt whatever we come against today, tomorrow, or next week, or next year, He will provide. He will provide. And He will give us the faith to pass the test. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your blessing for providing us with Your very Word and promises today. Pointing us in the direction where Jesus has been slain. Pointing us to the reality that You did not spare Your only Son to love us and provide for us. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for doing 
all that you have done for us on the cross. And in your perfect life of obedience. And in your empty tomb. We have nothing left to do. We cannot. We cannot do that for ourselves.